So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. It was really funny. I was at Mass the other day and the deacon kept saying, Happy New Year, Happy New Year. And behind me was this couple and they kept going, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. One was focusing on the liturgical season, the other focusing on a fun secular celebration that we have of celebrating the new year. Both are fun, but it was just kind of funny to see how there was this war going on silently, almost, during Mass. It gave me a good kick out of things that day at the end of Mass. But you're listening to Trending with Timmer. It's great to be back with you in the new year. And something that sparked my interest this week, I forgot that a couple years ago, I think this was back in 2021, a bill was passed in the California legislature bringing into effect officially this week, a few years later, the gender-neutral toy aisle for California's major retail store. So effective this week in the new year, if you are a major retailer store, which I believe class is classified as 500 employees or more, you are now required to have a gender-neutral toy aisle. Label it what you want, but it's got to be clear that it's gender-neutral. I think there are more parameters for labeling. But this was an interesting topic. Now, I have a lot of thoughts on this because at the end of the day, I think this law is rather silly. As there are many, many toys that are gender-neutral. And... Kids are going to go for what kids' toys they want to go for. I mean, if you're a parent, you've seen the things that kids fixate on and how stuck they are on it. And sure, often kids lean in stereotypical gender categories for toys, but they also go outside of those. We'll talk a little bit about it, but a little more on the background of this California law. So the California, sorry, the California assembly member, Evan Lowe, said that he was inspired to bring this bill to the forefront by an eight-year-old child who at one point said, why should a why should a store tell me what a girl's shirt is or what a girl's toy is? He said, her bill will help children express themselves freely and without bias. We need to let kids be kids. <laughs> I agree. Let's let kids be kids and not force certain ideas on them. You know, I think that kids should learn from their parents to think for themselves. And in fact, I know even without me, my kid can think for herself, the two of them. They have a lot of opinions. In fact, too many sometimes. And I think that this is interesting. Rather than having the world bow to me, my ideas, or my kids' ideas about toys, I think it's odd that we're forcing retail stores to bow to a government mindset about sexuality. And this is what it is. This is a government mindset about sexual neutrality that is being forced on businesses now. And the reality is, is a lot of kids' toys are already neutral. And so there we go. It's not going to be that difficult to fill an aisle with neutral toys for kids. I think we should focus more so on shaping children to think for themselves, though, and knowing right from wrong and pursuing good and cultivating their schools, skills and interests rather than making sure that they have neutrality. Rather than purple is the color that we pursue because 
blue and red make purple. So everything supposedly has to be neutral and purple. Although the correct neutral colors are green and yellow. So we need to get with us. But here's the deal. California's major retail stores, effective now, will be facing a $250 penalty for the first violation of failing to meet this gender-neutral toy aisle and up to $500 for every subsequent infraction and this is what the new law is. So again, I think this whole law is very silly as a lot of toy stores and have a lot of toys that are neutral. So it'll be easy to fill that aisle. And here's the deal. I think this is yet another fad that will come and go. Fads come with political ideologies and so-called political correctness, and we've seen them come and go. The feminist power and freedom mindset that girls should be able to choose toys that they want, male toys or not, that girls shouldn't just dress up as princesses, but that they should dress up as superheroes as well, that ba that girls shouldn't just choose baby dolls, but that girls should choose sexualized versions of adult dolls being Barbies. It's funny because kids will often naturally gravitate to the things that their peers are interested in. Their peers influence them. We've seen the fads, not just peer influence, but also marketing influence. Polly Pockets, which they've had a resurfacing the last few years, which I kind of love. I loved Polly Pockets when I was a kid. In fact, it's been a fun toy I've enjoyed buying for some of my nieces over the last few years. My sister, it's funny when I think about kids just being influenced by other kids. I remember my youngest sister. She adored her older brother, my little brother. And he was obsessed with things such as Indiana Jones and Spider-Man. And he had the costumes to make that be his life throughout the day. Now, at a certain point, my brother grew out of some of his little Spider-Man costumes and grew into his bigger ones. Well, you know what my sister did? She chose the Spider-Man costume that no longer fitted my brother, but could fit her. And she was now classified as Spider-Baby. So here she is wearing a non-stereotypical dress of clothes item, non-stereotypical for a little girl. And now she's Spider-Baby because she adored her little brother or her older brother who was running around as Spider-Man all the time. My point being is that kids influence other kids. Neutral toys or toys for the so-called classified opposite sex are going to cross back and forth. Now, if she was an only child, she probably never would have picked up a Spider-Man costume or showed any interest in it, yet alone running around being called Spider-Baby. Now, my brother went through this Indiana Jones phase. Why did he go through an Indiana Jones phase? Well, because we showed him the Indiana Jones movies and we took him to Disneyland and he saw the Indiana Jones ride and loved it. So he wanted the Indiana Jones whip, which I think I had some bruises from time to time when we would play Indiana Jones in our house when he was a little kid. He had, and I know people are going to be up in arms over that, but again, they're toys. Uh, and, you know, you play hard with toys sometimes. But he had the whip. He had the Indiana Jones hat. He had the Indiana Jones satchel. He had the pants. He had the jacket. And these things that kids are influenced by are based on marketing, exposure, siblings. For example, my one-year-old has a totally different outlook on toys from my three-year-old. Whereas my three-year-old went through and so dutifully enjoyed and played with every single one of the developmental toys and hoops that I played with her. However, my now one-year-old has an older sister and she just wants to play with everything her older sister has and is less interested in the developmental toys. 
see, this whole point is, as we're seeing in California, that toy stores, or actually not even toy stores, but all major retailers in California have to have a gender-neutral toy aisle. It's just kind of silly when you think about how kids interact, their changes, their differences. It's a very silly law, and it's forcing government ideas, not just on children, but also on businesses as well. Government ideas about sexuality and sexual neutrality. And so as I'm looking at the California law enforcing a gender-neutral toy aisle and the silliness of it, it also reminds me of this whole idea that everything must be neutral in today's society. There's no such thing as good and evil. And although we can't simply reduce a toy aisle to that, it is kind of what happens when we erase God from society. You must allow the child the space to be neutral on everything, to develop their own ideas about religion. I have friends, I have family members who say that, well, they want their children to be able to determine whether or not they want religion. And what, and so they didn't want to baptize even their children because of that. Again, everything's purple or everything's black because when you mix all the colors or say there's none, well, you get darkness. We have to choose. We do choose. We actually have discriminatory choices every single day of our lives. Some are good. Some are bad. Some are somewhat neutral, whether or not I like green versus pink. But now kids need to choose specifically girls, green over pink. Unless you're a boy, you should choose pink, supposedly, according to society. And you need to choose yellow over blue. Ironically, I love in green green and yellow, and so sometimes I'm slightly bitter as those are the so-called neutral colors. But that's okay. We don't need to make a big deal as everyone's making a big deal about this need to be neutral. Now, I mentioned this earlier in this force of the law to make all major retailers in California have a gender-neutral toy aisle. This isn't only an infringement upon really the freedom of expression and and speech, even of children, but of businesses as well. It's truly violating this ability for businesses to have preferences for the types of toys they want to sell. If a toy store wants to sell all girls toys, well, that's their choice. Maybe it's a predominantly female store and that's what they want to do. It's interesting because as we force this idea of neutrality, is there really such a thing as neutrality? We hear things such as coexist and equality. But I think all of that at the end of the day really is a sham because we'd have to get into deep philosophical ideas with regard to coexisting and equality. And at the end of the day, mainstream ideas surrounding coexisting and equality really are ideas that separate people. Now, forcing kids into boxes that aren't boxes by giving them the neutral green and yellow colors is very silly. It's like forcing your kid to take over a family business when they come of age, or forcing your child to do piano lessons when they have no skill or interest, or forcing your girls to dress up as princesses when they actually don't even like dress up, or maybe they don't even like princesses. Again, their preferences and dislikes that every person has. Yet for some reason, the focus continues to be exclusively on children and using children to be manipulated by modern ideologies that are being implemented by the government and on really regarding their view of sexuality. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio, talking about gender-neutral toy aisles officially required in all major retail stores in California. At the end of the day, it's an attempt to erase what is male and female. 
Now, that's impossible. It's also an attempt to erase God because God is the creator who gives us our maleness and femaleness. And with that, who also gives us an identity in that maleness and femaleness. And when we try to erase male and female, it's impossible. All that happens is ambiguity and confusion as we're seeing in the current culture. Each child is unique and absolutely unrepeatable. Each each child has unique gifts and interests to be cultivated. However, each child is born into this world as either male or female. And while kids definitely have toy preferences and many follow or actually fall into stereotypical preferences of things that can say boom versus something that can burp and feed, which is interesting because you think of a baby doll, you can burp and feed it, and boys love to eat, and they're a little more stereotypical, a belchy, and then girls are playing with these toys that say boom. I'll never forget when my brother was born. Here we were, three girls in the family and one boy. And when the boy came, it was psh, psh, like these noises that came out of his mouth and sometimes the spit that came with it. Her breast curled like, just make him stop, mom, just make him stop. We don't want to be splattered with spit anymore. And we're so sick of hearing psh, poof, poof, all day long, perpetually. <laughs> these things just happen. And again, some boys might not do that, but it's funny as we're talking about those stereotypes. I think there is a Catholic take on this. And this is where we have to kind of dust off some of the modern ideologies, whether you're a parent or not, but especially if you're a parent. Step out of that idea of operating under a mindset of, p- of fear and overemphasis on comparison when it comes to parenting, because we're called to be Catholic parents. And when we live and operate in this space of neutrality, It fails to allow kids to be kids and have fun cultivating their good thoughts and interests. And let me emphasize where I said good thoughts and interests, because if kids don't have good thoughts and interests, then we're failing as Catholic parents. Because as Catholics, even as people who are married, we know within the Catholic Church, the Catholic sacrament is ultimately not just oriented toward me and my husband, but ultimately the Catholic sacrament is oriented toward the procreation and education of children. And parents are the primary educators of children as the Catholic Church teaches. That doesn't just mean you pay the tuition. That doesn't just mean you move to the good school district, if there is one today. It's another topic for another day. But what it means is that children are the end of marriage. The end of marriage is cultivating the life of good in a child, the life of faith in a child. But this also comes to human sexuality as well. And I think it's important that we really dive into the catechism of the Catholic Church, understanding the role of being primary educators of our children, but also understanding the significance of sexuality. While the toy aisle might not be that big of a deal to me or to you in a toy store or at a retail store, what is a big deal is this cultural trend to adopt even through government, forced ideas about what sexuality is or is not. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says in paragraphs 2332 through 2333, which I'm including in the episode notes for you to ponder and discuss, this is what it says. Sexuality affects all aspects of the human person in the unity of his body and soul. It especially concerns 
effectively the capacity to love and to procreate, and in a more general way, the aptitude for forming bonds of communion with others. So do you hear what was just said? Sexuality affects all aspects of the human person, both the body and the soul, and it impacts how we love each other, get to know each other, and how we continue the human species. The Catechism goes on to say, Everyone, man and woman, should, should acknowledge and accept his sexual identity. Physical, moral, and spiritual differences and complementarity are oriented toward the goods of marriage and the flourishing of family life. The harmony of the couple and of society depends in part on the way in which the complementarity, needs, and mutual support between the sexes are lived out. I think this is a key part of what the Catechism says. Everyone, man and woman, should acknowledge and accept his or her sexual identity. These are really important things that we need to help our children with, especially through seasons of puberty, especially through seasons if maybe a mom isn't present in the home or a dad isn't present in the home, or there's been some sort of abuse or damage that has occurred in the development of a child. It used to be in psychology that if there was confusion about the human person, if there was a confusion and someone would say because they had some sort of stymie going on psychologically that they don't have a leg, it would be that we would help, psychologists would help that person to re recognize and realize they do have a leg and to embrace that leg rather than trying to claim they have one leg and then amputating the other. The same is to be done with children when it comes to sexuality, with maleness and femaleness. Not forcing the fact that you were a girl, but helping to celebrate the differences of femininity and masculinity. To celebrate the fact that I am a girl, I am a woman, I am a female. The Blessed Virgin Mary is this incredible example of womanhood. Jesus Christ, St. Joseph, we have these examples of what it means to be masculine and male. And so bringing this back to the topic of parents being the primary educators of their children, who thought so much could be said about the toy aisles in California being required to be one aisle gender neutral? Who thought there would be so much to be said? But as Catholics, the Catholic take on this is that Catholic parents, we are the primary educators of our children. We don't Give the education of our children to other people. Even when you pay for them to go to Catholic school, even when you pay for them to go to whatever school or maybe to pay to live in a particular zip code so that you can have a particular school district. I think as parents, again, the toy aisle really isn't that significant to me. But what is significant is this wave of neutrality in the culture surrounding sexuality that truly is impacting children and teenagers and young adults today. We should be more concerned about a child's ability to have healthy attachments, to love sacrificially rather than selfishly, because you and I both know that kids have a tendency towards selfishness and sacrificial love is something they need to learn. But we know through all of this attachment theory and research of psychology that in order to properly love others and to love sacrificially, kids need to have healthy attachments from the earliest years, meaning they need a lot of time with mom and dad forming those fundamental and primal relationships. This is why we have guests on here with us on Trending, such as Erica Komazar, who dives into proper attachment theory and the significance and importance of mom being home and the great value that moms versus dads give. So although the neutrality of the toy aisle might not be that important, what men versus women give, what dads versus moms give to their children is important. And this is why moms and dads are the primary educators of their children. 
We need, as we live in a society that loves to focus on neutrality, we need to focus on forming children who can think for themselves, who are taught by parents to know right from wrong, who learn to pursue good and to cultivate their skills and interests for the good, not greed, not selfishness. We need to form children who know, love, and serve God with all their hearts, with all their minds, with all their souls, as Deuteronomy 6.5 and as Jesus Christ in the New Testament, in the gospel say, he's reminding us and calling us into that sacrificial love of parenthood that is so important. And although California toy aisles may not matter that much to you, what is happening in society is undermining that great responsibility of parents to teach that God-given identity of maleness and femaleness, that God-given identity of being a child of God, and the importance of knowing right from wrong and cultivating that in every element of their life as they reach toward knowing, loving, and serving our Lord. I'll be right back here on Trending. It's the Christmas season, and with the Christmas season, I'd love to dive in with you to an incredible homily written by St. Leo the Great. He says, Christians, remember your dignity. And this is a great time of the year to dive into some of these great catechetical elements of our faith to embrace the joy of the Christmas season, but to maintain the joy of Christianity throughout the year in our day-to-day lives. Today's programming is sponsored by Colby Academy, offering a customized Catholic curriculum. Colby Academy knows the ultimate goal of education is to help our children be saints. More info at relevantradio.com slash Colby. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Merry Christmas. It's wonderful to be with you in this new year and this continued season of Christmas. We are diving into Christmas with St. Leo the Great, one of the ancient popes in the middle of the 5th century, and he wrote this incredible, incredible letter on the incarnation of Christ, on Jesus Christ and Christmas, which we'll dive into in just a moment. And coming up, if you're perhaps trying to recoup your health, (laughs) your sleep, and maybe even your finances after the holidays, I have three very simple but very strong tips to recoup after the holidays. And I had a little bit of a battle with someone the other day who jokingly thought it would be funny on Christmas to try to say all of the PC things that are anti-Christian to upset me about Christmas. And he comes up to me and he says, happy holidays. And I said, Merry Christmas. I'm not offended by someone saying happy holidays to me because holidays come from holy days, which are holy days in the church. He's like, touche. And so he just keeps throwing one after another. And he starts to say like, happy Hanukkah. And I'm like, oh, well, we have Judeo-Christian roots. And we're just going back and forth. It was really funny. So it's a reminder not to overthink and get too worked up as people are trying to move toward very politically correct statements, even in stores, especially in stores. People are told today not to use words such as Merry Christmas and others. And a funny side note, I remember when I was in high school, a friend of mine went after Christmas day shopping, that is, it's still Christmas. And I'm walking around a couple of days after Christmas saying, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas to everyone. And she's so embarrassed. But I was just like, Tim, right? 
it's not Christmas. I said, but it is. I said, everyone said Merry Christmas for weeks leading up to Christmas. And now Christmas is here. Why can't we keep saying it? And she's like, but not everybody's Catholic. I said, but that's okay. It's still a happy and joyful salutation. Just interactions with people that are joyful and jolly and brings kind of this, this new spirit and this new energy of greeting to people. I think it's a good thing. So I think there's a lot to be wrapped up in in this season. But let's dive in just a few minutes to three tips for recouping your health, your wealth, and your sleep after the holidays. But before that, St. Leo the Great. So he is a pope who lived in the middle of the 5th century. So right after that time period that's really considered the early church fathers period. Actually, he's right on the end of it. He's one of the early church fathers. And he's renowned for his preaching, specifically on the mystery of the incarnation of Jesus Christ himself. And so What better time than now to dive into one of his wonderful homilies that's referred to as being titled Christians Remember Your Dignity by St. Leo the Great. And I'm going to read through it and then give some commentary because it's a very rich homily. We'll post a link to it on social media a little later as well for you to read if you're interested, as well as in the episode notes for today's show. Dearly beloved, today our Savior is born. Let us rejoice. Sadness should have no place on the birthday of life. The fear of death has been swallowed up. Life brings us joy with the promise of eternal happiness. No one is shut out from this joy. All share the same reason for rejoicing. Our Lord, victor over sin and death, finding no man free from sin, came to free us all. This is the introduction of Pope St. Leo the Great homily referred to as Christians Remember Your Dignity on the Mystery of the Incarnation and Christmas. And I love the salutation. The Savior's been born. He comes to bring us joy with the promise of eternal happiness. This is what we're looking for. Happiness is an emotion. It's fleeting. It comes and goes. But joy is a virtue. It's rooted in God himself. And that is the cause of our joy. In the New Testament, we read about the suffering of the early church and of the saints. We read of St. Peter and Paul and John and the various apostles. We learn of the first death of the early church. For example, the first martyr being St. Stephen, whose feast day we celebrated the day after Christmas. Isn't it so morbid that right there, smack the beginning of the Christmas season, we celebrate St. Stephen, the first martyr? Because within the celebration of Christmas is a celebration of life, but you can't have life in Christ without death to self. This is a significance of baptism, and this is a significance of the very good reality that we are called to die here on earth, and to die well so that we might merit the kingdom of heaven. Continuing on with Pope St. Leo the Great's words, he says, Let the saint rejoice as he sees the palm of victory at hand. Let the sinner be glad as he receives the offer of forgiveness. Let the pagan take courage as he is summoned to life. Who are you in this statement? As I look at the words of Pope St. Leo the Great, he's giving us three different types of people. The saint, the person who's in a state of grace, the sinner who needs God's forgiveness, and the pagan who is being called into true life because that is life in Christ. We're called to enter into, if you're living in a state of grace, the victory of God, the forgiveness of God if you're a sinner, or into the very life of God if you're a pagan. You haven't experienced this yet. You're being beckoned into his baptism. This is why we celebrate the baptism of our Lord right there after we celebrate Christmas. 
And so going on with Pope St. Leo the Great's words, he says, In the fullness of time, chosen in the unfathomable depth of God's wisdom, the Son of God took for himself our common humanity in order to reconcile it with its creator. He came to overthrow the devil, the origin of death, in that very nature by which he had overthrown mankind. So what is Pope St. Leo the Great saying here as he talks about the great gift and joy of Christmas and the dignity of our lives? He's saying the Son of God took for himself our humanity in order to reconcile it, he says, with its creator so that we might enter in as human beings, as fragile human beings, mortal human beings to enter into the immortal life of God himself that is being reconciled into God. By that, Jesus Christ overthrows the devil, the origin of death. He overthrows death because death, actual death, if we really think about what we should be frightened of, it should be eternal separation from God in hell. And death for the Christian is to be severed from the life of God, to be severed from the life of grace. This is why we're called to live in a state of grace, to go running to confession if you're in a state of mortal sin, so that you might be reunited to Christ, reunited to the body of Christ. Going on, Pope St. Leo the Great on this great commentary on Christmas and the Incarnation says, And so at the birth of our Lord, the angels sing in joy, Glory to God in the highest, and they proclaim peace to men of goodwill. Peace to men of goodwill as they see the heavenly Jerusalem being built from all the nations of the world. When the angels on high are so exultant at this marvelous work of God's goodness, what joy should it not bring to the lowly hearts of men? He goes on, Beloved, let us give thanks to God the Father through his Son in the Holy Spirit, because in his great love for us, he took pity on us. And when we were dead in our sins, he brought us to life with Christ so that in him we might be a new creation. Pope St. Leo the Great, in this great commentary on the Incarnation Christmas, is speaking of the celebration of the angels at the joy, the glory to God in the highest, where we receive the glory that we sing in the Mass. We sing the glory of the angels at Mass because we're celebrating yet again the incarnation of Christ, the presence of Christ in our lives, the memorial, the making present of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross in receiving his body and blood. The angels gave this great exaltation of of the marvelous works of God's goodness, as Pope St. Leo the Great said. This is a joy for us of lowly hearts, as St. Leo the Great says. This is a joy for us lowly hearts to be elevated into the glorious hymns of the angels, into the glorious life of grace that God is offering. And so then when Pope St. Leo says, in his great love, that is in Jesus' great love for us, he took pity on us. That when we were dead in our sins, because death is when we are separated from God. That's the death we should fear, not death here on earth, because through death here on earth, if we live in a state of grace, we will enter into the glory of God's kingdom, into heaven and life with him. In fact, if we live in a state of grace, we're actually living in union with God here on earth. We're getting a taste, a foretaste of the heavenly kingdom. And so here's where Pope St. Leo the Great says that we were dead in our sins, but Christ brought us to life so that in him we might be a new creation. This reminds me of the words of St. Paul, where he says, behold, you are 
a new creation in our Lord Jesus Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, here's the new. You are a new creation. This is the significance of our baptism. This is the significance of living in a state of grace and renewing those baptismal promises, those baptismal graces. This is the significance of receiving our Lord Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the most holy Eucharist. So when you read the works of the saints, even those saints who suffered immensely, and most of them did, they have such an exultant joy to what they say, what they preach, how they live. Even if they experience sorrow and pain and depression, whatever it might be, there's a joy. God breaks through and brings light into the darkness of their lives. And so we are called to have that same hope of the saints. Behold, we are new creation in our Lord Jesus Christ. The old has passed away, as St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. This is why St. Leo the Great then goes on to say, Let us throw off our old nature in all its ways. And as we have come to birth in Christ, let us renounce the works of the flesh. So what is he saying? It's time to do away with the way we were living before. So here we are, we just celebrated Christmas, this great liturgical season, that great day of Christmas Day that goes on all the way to February 2nd. It's time to do away with those bad deeds, with those sins, with those terrible habits that are preventing us from authentic union and joy in our relationships, that are preventing us from sacrificial love in those relationships that are challenging. It's time to do away with what is distracting us from Jesus Christ. That's why St. Leo the Great says, let us renounce the works of the flesh. If you read the readings leading up to Christmas or even read the Liturgy of the Hours in the Divine Office, it would cite, for example, St. Paul, where St. Paul says, okay, now it's time to wake from your sleep because we need to make sure, as St. Paul says, that we make no provisions for the flesh. This is echoed yet again in the writings of St. Leo the Great. Let us renounce the works of the flesh. How is this similar to what the Old Testament said in prophecy about the New Testament, the coming of our Lord? Well, let's look, for example, to the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36, where he says, A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. You shall dwell in the land which I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Then, when we see this continuity between what St. Leo the Great said and what the prophet Ezekiel said about the coming of the Christ, that God will give us a new spirit and a new heart, replacing our stony, hardened hearts, just as Pharaoh had in the Old Testament when he wouldn't let the Hebrew people go to worship their God, that God will replace our sinful, broken hearts with fleshly hearts, hearts that can be wounded because we're loving. And when we love With love comes sacrifice. With love comes the ability to be not loved by someone. To give unconditional love when someone 
gives us conditional love. And isn't that the story of Christ? He gave everything to us in the incarnation. He gave everything to us in being that child in the arms of the Blessed Virgin Mary that we see time and time again in the most glorious icons that surround us. Yet we forget at the same time that coming will be from that infancy narrative. Coming will be the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Being bloody, bruised, and beaten. Bloody, bruised, and beaten. I mean, just ponder that for a moment. How significant it is that he will suffer. And he will suffer so immensely. And that that is the destiny of this innocent, beautiful child we celebrate at Christmas. And so going on just a little further on St. Leo the Great's homily, he says, Christians, remember your dignity. This is the title of the homily of St. Leo the Great. Christians, he say, says, remember your dignity. And now that you share in God's own nature, do not return by sin to your former base condition. Bear in mind who is your head and of whose body you are a member. Do not forget that you have been rescued from the power of darkness and brought into the light of God's kingdom. In other words, he's saying, remember your dignity. Do not return to your former base ways, like using the lowliness of the body. Bear in mind who is your head, that is God. Do not return to sin. It's easy to go back to the way things were. St. Peter in the New Testament And the apostles, after the resurrection of Christ, they just go back to fishing. And Jesus has to go to the Sea of Galilee in his resurrected body and say, hey, come on, come out, I'm here. So what are we filling our time with? Are we replacing our bad movements, our bad habits, and our sin with good things? Dare to hope and dare to do great things in Christ. The final words of St. Leo the Great in this great homily on Christmas and the Incarnation, he says, through the sacrament of baptism, you have become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do not drive away so great a guest by evil conduct and become again a slave to the devil, for your liberty was bought by the blood of Christ. That's this great homily on the Incarnation by St. Leo the Great. And remember that last line, do not drive away so great a guest by evil conduct and become again a slave to the devil, for your liberty was bought by the blood of Christ. I'll be right back here on Trending to discuss three tips for recouping your health, sleep, and finances after the holiday. Trending with Timory. It really is about reality. Do we believe there is such a thing as truth? And do we champion that truth? The reality of a male being a male, a female being a female, a baby being a baby. It's just, it's absolute insanity. I think it's important that people understand that people like you and the show that you're doing are some of the lone beacons of truth that are out there. And we have to do a better job of supporting those beacons. So many people live in fear, right? They know that their son is their son, their daughter is their daughter. They know that abortion is wrong, but we don't want to oppose it, right? Because we don't want to offend anybody. That's absolute nonsense. So people have to have courage. And the way that they have that courage is that they have to be willing to speak up. Most people are afraid of any form of confrontation. You've got to get over that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Christ confronted everything and he did it with love. Bringing the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith to current trends. Trending with Timory, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio. Today's show is sponsored by Colby Academy. With more than 40 years of experience in Catholic home education, Colby Academy offers a blend of classical Catholic curriculum and the latest education technology. More info at relevantradio.com slash Colby. 
bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our toll-free line is 888-914-9149, and it's sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. Okay, here they are. Three tips for recouping your health, sleep, and finances after the holidays. I think this is a really important topic that we don't hear enough about. Many people come out of the holiday season, holy day season, uh, from Thanksgiving to this great liturgical season of Advent with all the Christmas parties, all the Christmas pageants, to Christmas celebrations, the late nights of wrapping presents. I had my first at least as an adult, really late night wrapping presents with my husband this year. Because when on earth do you do all of those things for Christmas and Christmas night that I'm talking about? You know you do as a parent that you do during the day. So, yep, we had some pretty late nights, especially because Christmas wrapping with a one-year-old and a three-year-old isn't very easy. But hey, we did it. We made it happen. I remember when I was a kid staying up once I was old enough to be very conspiratorial with my mom and helping her with all of the late night Christmas extravaganzas when the kids were sleeping. So it brought back good old memories. Uh, So here's the deal. You have New Year's, you have a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of fun. If you're like me, maybe you came back sick from the holidays and you need to recoup. But there are multiple ways, whether it be your health and your eating, reining it in, getting enough sleep again, and your finances. Now, maybe some of these were your goals or your new year's resolutions for 2024. I can't believe it, that number. Or maybe you just want to get control over your finances after the holidays. I don't know what it is for you, but these are three areas that I think most of us want to get back on the right page with. That is health, sleep, and money. So here are three tips that I highly encourage you work on in the best way To really start on it is with your calendar. So I'll rattle them off and then I'll talk a little bit more about each one. So the three tips for recouping after the holiday season is number one. Number one is block out downtime. Don't overbook your calendar. And this is something I'm learning more and more. If I see projection a couple months out, we're going to have a really busy few months. Like weekend after weekend, things are booked. I start putting on my calendar and inviting my husband so that we're both on the same page. We're not committing to anyone or anything on these particular days for this specific weekend. Because not only does it just take a lot to catch up in the home, but you need family time or you need time to just slow down and not be overly stimulated. So block out your downtime and don't overbook your calendar. Maybe a lot isn't coming up for you or maybe It's just time to slow down after the busyness of the last few weeks. For us, January is kind of this holding pattern because we have two birthdays surrounding Christmas in addition to all the celebrations we've been going through. And then February is busy again for us because we have anniversary and birthday and so many things are actually traveling in February. So it's important to block out some down time. Number two is schedule when you'll meal plan and shop. This one's big for health and budget, along with blocking out downtime because we need time to be able to plan our food, to be able to cook, and to be able to actually get the shopping done without it always cutting into 
your rest time. And it's helpful on your budget as well because when you don't have food in your house, you binge eat, you just eat the snacks, or you go over and over again to the grocery store or over and over again out to eat. So schedule when you're going to meal plan and when you're going to shop so that you can get it done. This is one for me that I really need to work on because food's just been a bit of a challenge in our household navigating all of the diets. You know, you've heard my story before. I have a lot of food allergies and my husband has been doing, this is a whole nother topic for another day. <laughs> and uh, This is not a public endorsement of it, but I've been really impressed by the results. But my husband has been doing carnivore. He's been on the carnivore diet for, I, oh goodness, I think going on about three months. And it's very interesting to me and impressive, you know, just to have the ability to only eat meat and butter and tallow and ghee and it, it is very interesting that's another topic for another day but it's produced incredible results it's fascinating to see how a lot of people are having their bodies reset by it so schedule when you're going to meal plan maybe you're like me you have a very complicated set of health requirements and food requirements in your house it seems to be more and more the trend lately and number three set an alarm for when you want to start getting ready for bed so i'm going to come back to each of those so block out downtime don't overbook your calendar. I already explained that. It's pretty self-explanatory. We need time to ourselves. We need time as families. We need time that aren't, uh, isn't busy or rushed or it isn't the time, at least for me, where I'm trying to clean my house and do the shopping and then lo and behold, there was no weekend whatsoever. So number two was schedule when you'll meal plan and shop. I have been really trying to use a meal planner. So I put what my meals are and then I make my grocery list based off of that. You're much more effective with how much you're spending, what you're buying, and also you're more effective with what you're eating within your home because you shouldn't really be snacking as much if you're actually cooking good foods and you're eating them and have them available within the fridge. So set an alarm for you when, number three, set an alarm for when you want to start getting ready for bed. This one is huge because if you're like me, maybe you lose track of time at the end of the day and it's very easy to happen. Next thing you know, I look at the clock, it's 5.30 and lo and behold, it's 8 p.m. So my alarms tend to start buzzing for, the, I have two little ones and my first goes to bed around 7-ish. So I often have a 6.30 p.m. alarm that just goes off throughout the week as a reminder to just start making our way upstairs so that I can get her fed and ready for bed. And that helps to kind of set the trajectory for the night as to whether or not I'm pacing things well so that I can get sleep as well. But maybe your alarm is you want to go to bed at 8.30, so you set your alarm for 8 because that's your good warning to start heading upstairs. And snooze is great because it's that reminder, okay, if I've not gone upstairs yet, Let's just keep tapping snooze. I'm a big fan of having a lot of alarms for different things, especially with working from home and the girls are sleeping and just kind of keeping the day flowing. I have an alarm for snack time because usually my kids start getting peckish by about 1045 if someone isn't sleeping. And so making sure they get a snack and before nap so they don't wake up hangry or I'm trying to put them to bed somewhat hangry. So those alarms are huge, especially if you want to calculate how many hours of sleep do I need to get? I think one of the great deficits surrounding sleep, we know people don't sleep enough, but if you didn't know this, sleep is the leading cause of pain. People feel as if they are under the influence, and in fact, the body is more apt to 
perform less well than it, it even is when drinking if you're not sleeping enough. Chronic sleep is huge and it really does impair your senses and your performance. So sleep is a big one to work on getting control over, to work on getting control over. Now, with sleep, I think the key is is that sometimes we don't actually make a plan for when we need to wake up to have enough time to get what we want to get done versus need to get done in the morning. So if you need to be out of the house at 9 a.m., but it takes you an hour to get ready, 30 minutes to eat breakfast, 20 minutes to do some household chores and clean up, I don't know what it is, but just calculating those things up, it very quickly takes what, a solid two hours of your morning? I don't know what that is for you, but everyone has kind of their own rhythm in the morning and meshing that together with other members in the family. You've got to know how long it takes you to get out the door in the morning. It's funny. One of the things I realized, especially after having our first, was how important it was that we were waking up earlier and often before uh, my girls so that we we're actually getting to the place that we needed to go because once the kids are up, the kids are up. And sometimes it just takes a lot more time to get out the door. And <laughs> the classical example of that is just getting to mass on time. Am I waking up early enough to get out of the house on time to be early, even just five minutes early? I often shoot for 15 to 30 minutes early for mass. Does it always happen? Not necessarily. But these are the things where, like, this is your opportunity with these three tips recouping your health, sleep, and money after the holidays that I think could set a really great trajectory for you if you start time blocking that calendar. So those three things were block out downtime don't overbook your calendar. Number two, schedule when you'll meal plan and shop. This will impact your health and your budget. And number three, set an alarm for when you want to start getting ready for bed. Now, some questions that I get all the time how do you personally, what meat, what diets do you like? What do you think? And I know I'll get a lot of those questions after this episode is available. So I want to encourage you to really know what eating right for you is. I think, you know, we have male body versus female body, things that work for men don't work for women and vice versa. Uh, we, when you talk about doing keto, women need an alkaline keto. That's really important. So what does alkaline mean? How do you achieve alkaline? It has to do with eating cruciferous vegetables and making sure that you incorporate good spices so that your body's alkalized. Uh, Something that I've really been a fan of wanting to look into that I see a lot of great research for is eating according to your cycle as a woman. There are some great books out there and one of them that I have some friends who have been checking out lately is Fast Like a Girl. If you want to incorporate fasting into your diet, there's a time when women throughout their cycle do well with fasting and there's a time that women don't do as well with fasting. There's a time when women need more of a certain type of food versus in other other types of foods, even addressing just cravings that women have. And so Fast Like a Girl, I've had a lot of people who really recommend and like that book. I haven't read it myself, but I think it's supposed to really help with meal planning, shopping lists, and things such as that. And I think that this is something that we need resources such as these to help us navigate food. So keto's great. I love intermittent fasting. I'm excited to be coming into a new season where I can start incorporating more fasting as well. So those are your three tips for recouping your health, sleep, and money after the holidays. I'd love to hear from you some of those things that maybe you've incorporated to recoup from the holidays as well.
I wanted to thank you first off, and thanks to Relevant Radio for helping me return to my faith and helping me deepen my faith, which has just been an incredible journey. Bringing Christ to the world through the media. Relevant Radio.